What if there was a different way to live and work beyond the hustle and hype, beyond the never ending race to get more, do more, be more, a way that's nourishing, grounded, creative, and aligned with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Alchemy in Action with me, your host, Amanda Cook. In each episode, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. Join me to create a life and work that truly fit you, infused with meaning and magic. Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Cook. And this week, I'm speaking with Wellpreneur Megan Dowd, the owner and creator and founder of Cado Ice Cream. That's ice cream made from avocados. Megan and I actually went to college together, and I heard about her through one of our class Facebook groups. And as I was in there and saw what her business was, Cado, I was like, oh my gosh, that is totally, she's a Wellpreneur. Amazing. So I reached out. I don't think we actually knew each other at school, but I reached out and we got in touch and I wanted to have her on the show because her business is so cool. So Megan was working in Los Angeles and she really wanted to move back to Iowa where she's from. So she moved back. They first started a kombucha business and then eventually started Kado, which is their her primary business now. It's a family-run business. They're stocked by Whole Foods, which is just incredible, like so awesome. And so we're talking about how they got started with their business, how she got her first big customer, and also like how she really balances her family life of having two children and doing a family-run business and trying to grow it, all that good stuff. So Megan is just a complete wellpreneur, really down to earth and really successful. And I think you're just going to love hearing from her. Now, I know we have new listeners joining the podcast every single week. So if this is your first time listening, hello, welcome to Wellpreneur. And just so you know, we've got a Facebook community called the Wellpreneur Community that has 4,800 Wellpreneurs in there. It's totally promo free except on Wednesdays, we have one promo thread. But the rest of the time, everyone's just asking questions and helping each other out, talking about the episode. We'd love to have you in there. Also, I've published a book called Wellpreneur. It's available in Kindle version and print on Amazon. And it teaches you how to grow your wellness business online. So I take you through my step-by-step -step system that I've used in all my courses with my clients and with my community to bring more of the right people to your website and turn them into paying clients. We have over 50 five-star reviews on Amazon, and I'd really love if you're looking at growing your own wellness business, that is a really affordable and comprehensive way to start, to be honest. It's called Wellpreneur. It's available on Amazon. I'd love it if you check it out. And if you've already got the book, don't forget, I've also got the Wellpreneur Planner, which is the companion 12-month planner that helps you to really implement and take action on everything you've learned in the book. Well, that's it from me this week. So let's just jump straight into this interview. I've been so busy, like getting ready for my new course that I've been running, um, that I've just been heads down, totally doing that. So I won't, won't delay you any longer. I have nothing else to report. Let's get into this interview with Megan Dowd of Kado Ice Cream. Hi, Megan. Thanks for coming on the show today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'd like to start off by asking guests how you describe what it is that you do. Oh, sure. I make a dairy-free ice cream from avocados. Awesome. <laughs> so, oh, and the name, by the way, is Kado, which totally makes sense. But yeah, tell us all about that and how, how we got started. Our product is called Kado. 
And my family and I, so it's my mom, my brother, and myself, about four years ago, we were involved in a food business, an organic food business. And we were just thinking about products. We were making kombucha at the time. And we were thinking about all sorts of different types of products that were in the market or what the market was missing. And we felt there were some gaps in the ice cream section. So we were, you know, grew up loving to eat ice cream. But over time, we felt like ice cream, you know, the ingredients were, were changing and there was less quality ingredients. And we were also becoming more aware of, the, you know, our own personal diets and wanting to eat foods that were better for us. And avocados, we had begun experimenting by putting them in smoothies and pies and things like that. And we loved them for the, the good heart healthy fat that they had. And so we, you know, together kind of decided to experiment with making avocado based ice cream. So without any dairy or soy or nuts or anything like that. And many, many test batches later, we had a product that we liked and we brought it to the market in the Midwest. I, I live in Iowa and, you know, it was well received by the Whole Foods buyer in the Midwest. And then from there, we've been growing. So we're, we're now a nationwide brand and we're the first avocado based ice cream in the market. Awesome. When did you start? Cotto launched about four years ago. So 2014-ish, 2015. And you said that before that, what were you guys doing before that? You were making kombucha. Had you also, like, were you selling that on a large scale as well? We were a, a regional brand, so a Midwest-based brand. I had been living in Los Angeles. I'm originally from Iowa, and I was drinking kombucha in LA. And then in 2009, I decided to return back to my hometown. And it's a small town in Iowa, about 10,000 people. And so I needed something to do. And I did a couple of things. I, I brought back things from LA that I really love doing. So I started a little yoga studio and a spin studio. And I started making kombucha. And then I started bottling the kombucha and bringing it to my yoga studio. And that sort of grew organically into you know, a, a local business within the town. And then from our small town, it grew into the state and then regionally throughout the Midwest. And that kind of was a training ground, I guess, for the food business. And that's how we, my brother and my mom and I got our, our legs for launching a, a larger brand. Yeah, I didn't know that about you. And it's like, you're so truly a wellpreneur, you know, if you're doing like a yoga studio and then kombucha and now you're doing kato, like it's just like all those different aspects of wellness. That's awesome. I know for a lot of the listeners, you know, they'll have like they hear that they see the gap in the market, like how you did with like there really needs to be a better non-dairy ice cream and have this idea and the recipe testing and all that. I think people can be comfortable with that. But oh, my gosh, the leap to go from there to actually creating a consumer product like yeah. were you how did you bridge that gap? Like, did you have. Had you learned how to do that from the kombucha? Did, did you get someone to advise you? Like, Because I think that part of it is pretty intimidating for people. Yeah, the kombucha was definitely a training ground. And with that, you know, initially we began just by brewing, you know, our own batches in our, in our own home and sharing it with friends. And then we took very small steps. We were very conservative with our kombucha business. So we created a little commercial kitchen. And then from there, we, you know, we got our license and we were able to sell at the local co-op store. And we just took our time with that business, learning the ins and outs of organic certification and how to source ingredients. And, you know, my poor brother, he manually crowned, I don't know how many thousands of bottles, but that's how we started. And then we were able to, actually through a grant, we were able to get an equipment for a, a real brewery. So we 
We had a small scale brewery with big tanks and bottling machines that would bottle six at a time. And that was a big leap for us. But we really took our time with that and were able to learn the market that way. How is it working with your family? (laughs) It's good. You know, there's certainly been certain challenges and also certain aspects of working with your family that provide real advantages. I think we've figured out our, you know, how we work best together at this point in time. It's been about 10 years. So we've worked out most of the kinks, but there are certainly, you know, personality relationship dynamics that come out, especially with family business interactions. Mm -hmm. But we each have our own roles, but we also collaborate really well together. I'm curious with Kato. So how did you get your first big customer? We made our own small test batches at, you know, in our commercial kitchen where we were producing kombucha. And then we found a facility that produces other brands of ice cream. They're, they're considered a co-packer or a contract manufacturer. And so we did a very small test run there. And we felt that product was good enough to bring to a buyer. And because we had had our kombucha on shelves at Whole Foods markets in the Midwest, we reached out to the buyer there. And it's really interesting to see how people respond to a product that's new. There's nothing like it on the market. It's different than when we were bringing our kombucha around. Even when we launched our kombucha, you know, we weren't the first, but we weren't. There's there's so many different brands now. We were one of the first Midwest brands. But when you bring something totally new to the market, it's a lot easier to get people's attention, to get meetings, things like that. I'm wondering about when you first got started and launched it, how much marketing did you have to do around it or just the fact that it was in Whole Foods was that that was exposure enough? How does that part work? Yeah, there was a lot of marketing um, and we would go and we would demo the product at stores. There's a big education. It's avocado ice cream, but it doesn't taste like avocado was a line we would say a lot. The creaminess comes from the avocado, but it tastes like chocolate or it tastes like lemon or it tastes like mint chocolate chip. And then, you know, we try to run sales, lots of things like that. We would go to different festivals and sample the product. And then we kept reaching out to more buyers. And we had the good fortune of once we got into Whole Foods in the Midwest region, we had distribution for that region. But then we were able to grow our distribution wider because of that. And so it's been... A process, yeah, of um, developing certain things like developing our Instagram account and doing festivals and reaching out, finding people who want to be influencers or ambassadors. So it, the marketing game is always interesting to figure out the right way to reach people, especially about a food product, because you're not able to, especially a cold fruit product, you're not able to sell it to them directly. They have to go to a store to buy it. So Yeah, I think, you know, I'm really interested in social media right now and how, like, I guess both aspects of it, like how what you found most useful for actually converting customers, like Mm -hmm. or or just, you know, not just building a big audience. Well, I guess I'll let you answer that. But, you know, are you using social media like just building awareness or do you find that you're actually getting sales directly because of that? Or how is that working for you now? It's an interesting time because traditionally people would spend a lot of money on ads in in newspapers or in the store flyers. But I think that There's a lot of value on Instagram for food businesses, but it's kind of tricky. I see, you know, both some aspects of it totally inflated and not so worthwhile. And then other, whatever comes most organically, I think is the most valuable. If people find the product and they share about it and then, you know, that brings awareness to their, to their friends and they actually trust, you know, that recommendation. 
it's a fine line, I think, about hiring influencers and finding the right the right value for that, you know, a paid influencer post. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it, it's changing all the time, too. Is that something that, like, are you doing that yourself? Have you gotten somebody else to help you guys with Instagram? Because it can be, you know, from talking to other entrepreneurs, I know taking it on yourself can be almost like a full-time job because you're constantly responding to messages and curating the next post. So what's your relationship with that like? Yeah, initially I was managing it. My um, We keep it in the family here. I guess my sister-in-law, who also works as a realtor in, in our small town, she also, she's taken on our social media. It's been an interest of hers and she's really been able to to elevate what we're doing on social media. So she and I together, we collaborate, we take the pictures. And one thing that's been really fun is we work with other brands. And um, I think that actually has been successful in terms of reaching out in a way that feels maybe less salesy, I guess. You know, we'll partner with other brands, we'll do giveaways, things like that. And it's it's fun because you actually get to collaborate with other brands, other mm-hmm. people who are trying to do the same thing as you, but in a different category. And uh, you get to create yummy food treats together. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, fortunately, we have Darren who's been able to take over social media because it really is a full-time, you know, it can be and should be probably a full-time job for someone. If someone's out there listening who is really dreaming, they have a food product that, you know, maybe they've developed the recipe and they really would love to launch it and turn it into a business. What advice do you have for somebody just getting started in that area? Oh, gosh. Um, I think for us, it was really important to make sure we had a product that was needed in the market that was necessary and it wasn't another, you know, there were some really unique attributes to it. And I guess, you know, definitely just a lot of testing, make sure, you know, you really feel good about that product, but also don't spend so much time in development that you miss the opportunity to get onto shelves, especially locally. I would definitely push people to test their product in a local market first. And, you know, you don't have to get everything right the first time. We ended up changing our packaging after the first year. We ended up totally revising our recipe when we first came out. Our product was, it was really good, but it was more dense than we wanted it to be. So we would have to tell people, well, you got to let it sit out for about 10 minutes and then it'll soften and then you can scoop it. And after that first year, we realized we needed to learn a little bit more about ice cream science and figure out how to make a more scoopable product. So we did some of that learning and developing and went through a big transition which was more doable at a regional level and would have been more difficult if we were already nationwide. So mm-hmm. it's just finding that balance of how to get out there just enough to get some good feedback from customers and to really test your concept, but not put yourself out so wide. And, and for us, you know, we wanted to be able to sustain our growth and it can be expensive initially getting onto shelves. And you know, we didn't want to spread ourselves too thin too quickly. So finding that right balance of growth and making sure that your product is unique enough to really find a spot on the shelf. I'd love to shift a little bit and talk about you as an entrepreneur and a business owner and just a person, really, because I think there's always this there's this challenge in the wellness industry that you're, you know, you're focused on your business and you're trying to grow something. But at the same time, like you need to keep yourself well also. Right. And not burn yourself out because that's kind of like what's the point of having a wellness business and like totally burning out. So do you believe in work life balance? What's working for you at the moment? I think that was the the reason why I moved back home and wanted to work for myself was to create that kind of work-life balance where 
I could leave the office at three o'clock or, you know, go in a little bit late. And I've had two children over the course of, of the business, which has been intense in many ways, but it's also been much more doable. I would bring my kids, you know, in the carrier to work and they'd sleep on me for, you know, the morning and then I'd leave for the afternoons and work in the evenings after they go to sleep. So it's definitely been a balancing act. And, you know, I, I actually still have my, I have a yoga studio in town and practicing yoga, teaching yoga has been a real benefit. Finding time to move and to balance in that way has been really helpful. I'm not the kind of person who wants to sit at a desk all day long for 10 hour days or work on, you know, a screen all day long. It's, it can be really intense. So I definitely have been able to structure my work and life in a way that flows with my kids and family and some balance of fitness and and health. I'm curious, could you share like your daily schedule? I know it's, you know, probably different every day, but if you have like a morning routine, what that work day looks like for you? On good days, I get up around 5.30 and I go to the gym and I do kind of like a CrossFit type workout for an hour with friends. And then I come home, I help, you know, get my kids breakfast and get them ready for school, take them to school. So then they go to school, I go to work. And then at three o'clock, I go pick them up. And some days I'll go and teach at five o'clock, not as often these days. So I teach about two times a week, but uh, you know, I bring them home. And then, you know, my time is really with them at that point. I like to cook dinner, we'll go grocery shopping together. And then, you know, kind of the evening routine with family happens. And then sometimes it's time to work again for another hour or two to kind of take care of things. I'm trying to, (laughs) to, you know, enjoy some evenings too without works. And then I really try to, on the weekends, I try to just completely clock out and spend time with family. What's your uh, relationship like with your phone? (laughs) (laughs) Good question. Certainly a New Year's resolution, which I don't know that I've been so successful with, is wanting to put the phone into a box, you know, when I come in the front door (laughs) at home. But, you know, the phone is, it's a tool which allows me to be a lot more mobile. You know, I can take my kids places and still be connected to work. And so, you know, I'm grateful for that. I think that 10, 15 years ago, I wouldn't have had that kind of ability to still be connected to work and be able to take off at three o'clock in the afternoon. But yeah, it's always a balance of figuring out how to put it away and not be so connected at other times. That's definitely a work in progress for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I think for all of us, I really, I'm kind of liking asking questions about that. Just like email, social media, phones, like I feel like they are good and evil at the same time. And it just depends how you how you manage them. And and for each person, it's different if it bothers them or not. Yeah. I, you know, I, there's such an immediacy to, to, you know, people expect you to respond right away. You have this phone on you all the time. But I try to, in my mind, think about, you know, it's I have a day or, you know, 24 hours to respond to people is, is you know, I'm not the quicker you respond, sometimes it just it opens it up to maybe more chatter or more mental activity than is needed. So I try to give myself a little bit of space from that constant need to respond all the time. Yeah, I've noticed that, too, is like if you respond right away, then it almost turns into like a back and forth conversation. And sometimes yeah. it's good to just give it a bit of space. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious, what have you learned about yourself? I guess, what have you learned about how you work since running your own business? I'm really happy to have partners to work with. That The sense of collaboration is actually really helpful for me. I have my yoga studio business by myself, 
But this business, you know, I have the contrast of having two partners. And sometimes I think, oh, it would be nice to stay home and work in my pajamas and not actually have to get up and go to an office. But that structure of getting up, going to the office, being around my coworkers is really, really helpful for me as a person to perform and function best. Yeah, I've seen that, that like when I fell into it too, when I first started working for myself, I'm like, great, I can just like be in my pajamas and work all day. And that's just really not, <laughs> you really don't feel good about yourself when you, yeah. when you do that multiple days in a row. Yeah, exactly. It's a nice treat every now and then for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you could go back and give yourself some advice when you first started your business, what would you tell yourself? Oh, um, I think that there's a certain level when you're trying something new, you know, you feel like, I don't know what this means or what this, I, you know, you have a lot of questions. There's even, you know, the vernacular and language in certain industries can feel really foreign at times as you're entering them. I think, you know, just to, to know that what I'm doing and what I'm offering is, is important, I guess, to feel really strong about that and not second guess um, certain things. I know that's kind of <laughs> a broad general thing, but just being really confident and comfortable asking a lot of questions and reaching out to people and not trying to figure it all out kind of quietly. <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in the, because, I, you know, as I've developed relationships with people in the industry, I have learned a lot of helpful things. So I think what has really helped is just continuing to ask questions and to not stall out in any way. So to keep each day figuring out what the most important thing is and moving forward along that track. And not letting little things or maybe things that seem big slow you down. And just as we're getting to the end of our interview, I always love to ask, do you have any favorite books, I guess, kind of like business or inspiration or mindset, like books or podcasts or something that really has been helpful to you in growing your business? You know, I listened to there's some. it was called Project Nosh, but it's now it's just Nosh, I think. It's like a food and BevNet. They're both they have podcasts and so they have other, you know, food brand and beverage brand entrepreneurs on there. So anything that's an entrepreneur talking about their business, I'm always listening to that sort of thing because there's just so much commonality in the experience. And it's really nice. You know, I I think before I went in for a big meeting one time, I listened to a podcast and it was like, well, you can negotiate those fees, you know, that they tell you it's going to cost you this amount of money to put your product on the shelf, you know, and, and it was really nice to have that insight right before I went into the meeting because we negotiated down, you know, a significant shelf uh, set fee. So yeah, Project Nosh, um, BevNet, I, I look to those a lot and food marketing podcasts. I'm trying to think of them off the top of my head. I'll get them to you. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Podcasts. I mean, not everybody is has time to read or, you know, decides to read, but like podcasts are such an amazing resource. And that's actually, well, obviously why I do this one too, is because you're right. There's so many commonalities and just hearing somebody else that they've gone through it is, it's just gives you the, it just makes you realize, oh, I can do that. It doesn't sound as exactly. daunting as... I thought it was. So, yeah, I appreciate hearing it in other people's words, their experience, because then it is really translatable. Absolutely. Cool. So tell everybody where they can find out more about Cotto and try your product and or get in touch with you or all that good stuff. Our website is Cotto, C-A-D-O, like avocado, icecream.com. So Cotto, icecream.com. And our product is available. If you'd like to go try it, we have seven flavors now that will be on the shelves this spring. And you can get it across the country. There's a store locator on our on our website. 
And you can also check us out on Instagram. We have a lot of fun activity there. Awesome. Cool. And we'll link all of that up in the show notes so that people can get to it. And I can't wait to try it. I guess you're not in the UK yet, are you? Not in the UK yet. Yeah, Uh, hopefully. Work on it. This spring, when I come back to the US, I'll definitely stop by Whole Foods and get some. But (laughs) thank you. That's awesome. Thanks for being here, Megan. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. As always, you can get all the links to everything we talk about in the show notes at wellpreneuronline.com. And if you haven't yet, I'd love you to come join us in our Facebook community. It's called the Wellpreneur Community on Facebook. Just request to join. And also, if you haven't, don't forget to check out my book, Wellpreneur. You notice a theme with the names, which is available on Amazon and helps you to grow your own wellness business online. Okay, have a great week and I'll see you back here next week for the next episode. Mm